Good afternoon and welcome. It's midday. Glad you're with us. I'm Tom Hall. It's midday on politics today. The 2024 session of the Maryland General Assembly is underway. We'll talk about what we can expect in the session, which Senate President Bill Ferguson described to me as a turn-the-corner year when we spoke on midday the other day. WYPR News Director Matt Bush and Hallie Miller from our news partner, The Baltimore Banner, join me with the latest from Annapolis. But before we launch into that conversation, this item from our national notebook. The AP reported yesterday, and Ashley Sterner has been telling you about it this morning, former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan removed himself from a leadership role with the third-party movement No Labels. This could mean that he is preparing to run for president on the No Labels ticket. That is purely speculation at this point. Hogan has not yet said anything about a presidential bid since he decided not to run as an anti-Trump Republican. West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin isn't seeking re-election in the Senate and is apparently considering a run. And leaders within the No Labels movement are openly asking former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie to think about it as well now that he's dropped out of the Republican race. No Labels has said they will decide whether or not to field a candidate sometime this spring. And this programming note coming up today at 1 o'clock after midday, a Friday special open to debate how would a no-labels presidential candidate change the outcome in 2024. So now we turn our attention to Annapolis, where lawmakers are in their third day of the 2024 session. Over the next three months, they will consider statutes concerning housing, juvenile justice and public safety, measures meant to grow the state economy, a death with dignity bill, and legislation naming a state fruit. May I interest anyone in a persimmon, perhaps? <laughs> Matt Bush is the news director here at WYPR and a longtime General Assembly sage. He joins me here in Studio A. Good to see you, sir. Good to see you, Tom. Thanks for having me in. So what's the mood? You have uh, covered uh, more than a few uh, General Assemblies. How would you uh, characterize <laughs> the mood down in uh, Annapolis this week? Uh, it's, I want to say subdued, but not like a subdued because it's it's bad subdued or you know something maybe is out there that's causing it subdued. I think it's just more, you know, I think some of the things you heard Bill Ferguson say on your show earlier this week, the Senate president, uh, are, are true. You know, this year, uh, you know, governor's in his second year, um, so he's going to propose things. I don't think it's going to be as maybe um, sweeping as some of the things he saw last year, and I think a lot of lawmakers are are beginning to see, you know, this is more of a, a workman-like kind of year where, you know, there's a lot of things going to come out of this. i got to fix this budget shortfall that's there, uh, but I think it's a lot of all, you know, you know, we'll see the tweaks and the kinds of things and uh, that, that I think they work on a lot uh, of tweaking of existing laws or some things will be brought up that maybe aren't passed but are certainly setting up in future years and I think there's also just a lot of looking at you know some of the things that have passed there's been a lot that's gone through the past couple years uh, that they'll want to look and see if it's working and if it needs to be changed. Uh, a $761 million uh, budget deficit is mm-hmm. uh, kind of putting a shroud over uh, the affairs of state uh, down in Annapolis. But there's also like a literal shroud yeah, there is. in so, Annapolis. <laughs> What's yeah. going on? So there's in? two shrouds. Yes. Uh, you know, there, there's the shroud of this budget shortfall and some of the other things they'll be taking up. But the, the state house is actually in a shroud right now because uh, next door to it or in front of it uh, on Lawyers Mall, which, you know, if anyone knows the complex, you know, the, the, the state house is at the one end of Lawyers 
Players Mall, and then on either side of it is the Governor's Mansion, and on the one side is the DLS, Department of Legislative Services Building, which is being rebuilt. Uh, it should be ready for next year. Last year it was just a pit with some cranes. This year yeah, it's actually, you can see what it's going to look like, kind of. the Sort of the inner skeleton is built up, but to keep the State House protected from any debris or any dust that's coming from it, it's covered in a shroud right now, and um, it's maybe not the most attractive-looking thing, given the, the Maryland State House is a really majestic building, you know, the oldest uh, continuously serving uh, state house in the country. So, um, yeah, but that's what it is this year. And maybe there's a bit of symbolism with that, too. Like, this is a working year. It's not going to be a particularly, uh, you know, uh, headline-grabbing year, maybe, yeah. uh, in Annapolis. Well, it's interesting. Senate President Ferguson told me he looked out his uh, office window and he sees nothing but scaffolding. and uh, Yeah, and uh, the cloth. other day, it was a sunny day, Wednesday, when the legislature started, but it kind of felt like it was all night inside. And, you know, being it's <laughs> January and people may have some seasonal depression right now, it didn't help. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> there are a couple of emergency bills uh, that are uh, on the docket here that have technical changes. Uh, having to do with elections. What's going on with that? So Sure. So we have the election in May, and it's going to be a few weeks after the General Assembly. And I think another thing we can look at this year is we have, I think, seven or eight members of the General Assembly are running for Congress. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's in the back of at least some people's minds. So these are just real technical things. One of them uh, deals with how all ballots are counted during a recount. I was talking to the bill sponsor of all these, Cheryl Kagan, Senator from uh, Montgomery County, and she said there's a lot of Maryland law that's still pretty antiquated with dealing with elections and particularly ballot counting. So this would be not for, um, you know, the election itself, there needed to be a recount, making sure that all ballots are, yeah, there's laws at least counting, or laws regarding all ballots that are now used, and more and more people are using, you know, different kind of ballots post-COVID, so make sure that they can be counted during a recount. Why is that significant? Well, we've seen a couple races in the past few years, particularly in Montgomery County, where it had been decided, county executive primaries in the Democratic primary have been decided by, you know, Less than ten votes, I think one of them was, and also in Baltimore County, Johnny. Yeah, Oshetsky's John Oshetsky, he, I think he won by nineteen votes. Right. In his so um, this deals with that, making sure if there is a recount when those things are so close that you know they're the all ballots that are used, and there's some people who use internet printed ballots, and I think this is one in particular and that could only be you know ten or twenty people, but in a race like that, that could be big. Just making sure that they fall under recount laws, and another one that also will allow uh, security cameras to be installed by election local election boards at ballot boxes. Uh, something again, I don't. Think anybody was really thinking about certainly when all these laws are written who knows how many years ago but certainly something with ballot boxes and security of them um something i think we've all been thinking a lot of uh, yeah. since 2020 given election integrity you know mm-hmm. been very much in the headlines matt bush is wypr's news director we're talking about what's going on in annapolis as the general assembly got underway a couple of days ago so there are like 500 bills that have already been pre-filed yes. yeah. 300 and some in the senate 250 some in the house pre-filing a bill indicates what uh you had the time to write on it uh it's something that you've been thinking about some of these if they you know if it's ones that are um, uh, and I know we'll get into some of these that are in response to a Supreme Court ruling, which came in June last year. So obviously the lawmakers want to do something with that, had their time to be able to write all those or have DLS write you know these things out for them and all that. Um, you also see some ones that are, if they're sponsored by the chair of a committee, uh, that means it was at the request of a department within the state government, like the Department of Environment or the Department of Education. So they've been sending these things throughout the year as they're seeing things that maybe laws that need to be tweaked or something. They're seeing these throughout the year, like get this in. Doesn't mean it's going to be passed 
passed faster. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be passed at all, some of these bills. But it just means these are things that lawmakers have been ready to work on or they're things that the department has been sending over to them uh, to have ready to work on. So it just it's it's a way to get some things early, yeah, out early and also get committee hearings for those scheduled early. And the earlier you can get a committee hearing, um, you know, the chances of a bill passing, I guess, kind of improve in some ways. Yeah, because, you know, it's interesting. It's a 90-day session mm-hmm. uh, and thousands of bills every year we'll get, are considered. Yeah, probably up to 3,000, I think, usually yeah. are considered. Um, that's a lot. That's, that's a, a lot. lot of work. And each of them got to get a committee hearing. Um, not necessarily a committee vote, much less a floor vote on one chamber. So there's a lot of time that gets compressed. And I, again, a lot of it's like the governor is going to release his budget later this month and some other things come out later. Uh, they have to come out. So, yeah, if it's a pre-filed bill, doesn't necessarily mean it's on the fast track. Some of the emergency bills like those election bills, maybe that's one thing. But it just means these are things that, you know, certain lawmakers are ready to go, wanted to get ready to go fat quickly. And one of them, I think, or a couple of the bills have to do with uh, the Supreme Court decision. You alluded to that uh, just a minute ago about race-based admissions mm-hmm. in colleges. So uh, higher ed uh, admissions on the lo- on the minds of some of the legislatures. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's been interesting, uh, given the conservative bent of the Supreme Court and the more liberal bent of state governments like Maryland, how they've been reacting to these Supreme Court rulings. And last year, we saw a lot of time spent on reacting to a, a gun ruling that basically, you know, allowed more people to apply for concealed carry permits in Maryland. That was from 2022. They said double that last year. So one of the biggest, you know, Supreme Court rulings of last year was this one that basically basically ended race-based admissions in higher education. So there are two bills out there right now um, that do this. It was interesting when I asked Bill Ferguson about this at his press conference Wednesday, the Senate president, he said he believed there was only two universities actually in Maryland that were using race uh, for, and it was one of 26 different factors or something like that. So he said it wasn't a ruling that necessarily affected Maryland all that much, maybe as opposed to some other states. Um, but there are two bills in there. One ends legacy preferences. I don't think this is one that's going to pass necessarily this session, but it's certainly one that's going to get everybody talking. And I think that's, you know, one looking at trying to balance things out. Well, if you're going to get rid of, you know, race-based yeah. admissions, then legacy. Because people start talking about that, you know, in terms of Harvard and right, Yale. Exactly. Stuff. They're not talking about it in terms of the University of Maryland necessarily, right. but it's a thing, right? Right. And this would also deal with private schools, this particular bill. Another one, and this one, I think, because it comes from uh, Malcolm Augustine, who's the Senate pro tem, and this is one Bill Ferguson and talked about in the press conference probably has a much better chance of passing and then probably will in some form um, that is out is this would take the top 10% of every high school's graduating class in Maryland. This is public or private. They would automatically be admitted into University of Maryland system schools and that would be College Park, Baltimore, Baltimore County, Eastern Shore, Bowie State, Coppin State, Frostburg State, Salisbury, Towson and the University of Baltimore in addition to Morgan State and St. Mary's College of Maryland. So if you graduate in your top 10% of your class in a high school in Maryland, then you would get automatic, in, uh, automatically admitted. Doesn't mean you have to go, but automatically admitted to each of these schools. To all of them. Yeah. So you'd have uh, on your list, you know, you could uh, now, uh, acceptance obviously. letters from, you know, technically uh, uh, from from you know a dozen schools. Right. <laughs> Details have to come out. Obviously, right. they have. You know, they can't. It's you know, everybody's not one. Everybody's not going to go to one of those schools. And two, obviously, they have probably limits on how many they can let in. But you would at least be admitted into that if you finish in the top ten percent of your high school class. Of course, uh, when we have a budget deficit like we have. Uh, mm-hmm. We're looking at $761 million for this year. They're talking about, you know, four years down the, the road being mm-hmm. in the $2.5 billion range. Um, here's what the governor had to say in his press conference before the session started uh, about the issue of taxes. I, I think that anything and any conversation around taxes, people need to understand that my bar for that is very, very high. 
So, you know, Senate President Ferguson didn't want to talk too much about taxes the other day when I chatted with him. Um, This is obviously, you know, a a hot button issue. But uh, do you think uh, that this is going to be the year that is going to require serious consideration of tax increases? Oh, they're going to be serious consideration. Whether it's done is a different thing. We'll see the governor's budget later this month. I would imagine he probably doesn't want to have anything there that would be raising taxes. And it seemed like kind of from his comments that if the taxes increases are going to come, you know, they got to come from the legislature and then he'll decide whether or not they'll, they'll put it as part of his budget or there'll be another bill that comes in that does it to fill in his budget. Um, he didn't really want to take a stand on that. And politically, that's probably a very wise move. And I think it's you know, no politician wants to say, I'm going to uh, raise your taxes. I think Walter Mondale killed that as a uh, campaign uh, platform many, many years ago. But um, there seems to be more at least a consideration of it, be it a tax or a fee. You know, there's going to be a lot of talk about it when they'll find out what they have to you know do. Because again, as you mentioned, this budget shortfall could balloon in in coming years, and a lot of this has to do with a lot of the money the federal government was giving state governments through COVID spending or through COVID because of COVID. A lot of that's going away now, so they're looking at it. If it's all cuts, it's probably really going to impact future transportation projects. John Lee had a great story with Johnny Olszewski, the Baltimore County executive, about some things they probably would have to cut. Ones an interchange off of, I believe, Interstate 70 that they've been wanting to do for a really long time. And it's now planned and potentially budgeted. But if the state has to cut uh, these transportation funds, you know, that's something that would would, would go away. Yeah, we've, we've heard the number $3.3 billion cut from mm-hmm. the transportation. But the Senate president said, oh, it's not really a cut. You know, the money's really not so, there. It's, so this know. was all a conversation. I can show my age here. Going back to when Martin O'Malley was governor, he said he never cut, you know, whether he cut spending or didn't cut spending. Every year, things have to go up in cost. You know, it's never, you never, so it was one of those, he would cut how much they might go up and call how much is spent every year. So it's the rate of increase. It's the rate of increase that was always cut. And they said, is that really a spending cut? Because it wasn't necessarily, did he, you know, cut spending? Did it go to a lower level, the amount that was spent? It was just each year things have to go up. So maybe the, the rate of increase was cut. So that's a whole big, it's like an academic exercise. <laughs> so whatever, we don't need to go into that. <laughs> exactly. Matt Bush, WIPR's news director, we're talking about the legislative agenda facing law makers in Annapolis for the 2024 session, which began on Wednesday. Um, A couple months ago, I had uh, Senator Jill Carter and uh, Ivan Bates, who is the Baltimore state's attorney. They are usually uh, political compatriots. In this particular instance, they are on opposite sides of the issue uh, of a bill that was passed last year called the Child Protection Act. It has Mm -hmm. to do with how children who are suspected of crimes are treated in the interrogation process, etc. There are lots of folks on the law enforcement side, state's attorneys, uh, heads of uh, police organizations who oppose the bill. They say it ties the hands of police. Senator Carter says, no, it doesn't. you got to read the bill. Uh, It's simply extending rights to children that uh, are extended to grown-ups. Um, Senator Ferguson was a, a you know, uh, <laughs> it was hard to figure out exactly where he stands uh, on this. But I mean, is a tweak to that kind of legislation possible? It would seem like it. And I think he also spoke on your show about, you know, there's a very specific problem within the juvenile justice system right now, and certainly with juvenile crime rates, as they are down in Maryland. But there seems to be, at least it's what they're looking, something that is certainly creating a perception 
that there is a much bigger problem uh, among certain gun crimes and, and carjackings and things like that um, that are all related to this. The Senate president didn't really take, I'm not saying it take a sign, but certainly left the door open that there might be a change. The governor, uh, again, on this, I think, was letting the legislature decide and said, you know, basically kind of saying, like, I want things, you know, my his North Star that he said about this was, was accountability. He wanted something that would be accountable to the state uh, and all this. So I think, again, leaving it up to the legislature and leaving up to lawmakers to kind of craft uh, whatever might come. And um, this will be talked about a lot, whether anything gets changed or not is a separate story. But this is probably going to be the thing, even more than taxes in the budget, it's going to get talked about the most right now because I, it just it's in the news so much. And you have a lot of media outlets that are focusing so much on crime all the time and, you know, versus – you know, other issues. So how much of this will get done and how much of it, you know, is urgent to uh, the devil's in the details. And yeah. we'll find that out over the next 90 and days. And with Governor Moore, it seems like there's two kinds of buckets of bills, the yeah. ones that he's going to let the legislature mess with mm-hmm. and he's going to support it, sort of, you know, keep uh, arm's length mm-hmm. at, and the others that he is proposing himself. Yeah. Uh, much was made last year in his rookie year uh, with the legislature first session uh, where he had he proposed, I think, 10 bills, 11 bills, and they mm-hmm. all passed. Um, he's proposing another package of bills. One has to do with uh, reform of the criminal justice system. Yeah. One has to do with victims' compensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can you tell us about the public safety uh, approach from the Moore administration? Sure. So right now, I mean, um, he really didn't touch on the juvenile justice bit, I think, when he introduced the three bills he was going to do. One was, you know, reforming the uh, victims' compensation fund. One was creating a, an apprenticeship program to recruit and retain law enforcement officers. And the third uh, kind of mimics what President Biden did at the uh, within the White House. Uh, the, uh, the governor wants to create an office of gun violence prevention in the State Department of Health, saying it's a public health issue. Um, you know, those are things I think that are easier to pass. I think there's some things that at least Democrats will support. Um, so I think those are where he's coming at. And there's still a lot of, I think, study and a lot of sort of gradual buildup of the things I think he's looking at. Having more law enforcement officers is, you know, I think a gradual buildup or a program that gets them more, but also studying more the gun violence problem that the state has um, through the Department of Health through a different lens. So I think those are the more gradual things, the more, you know, maybe quick fixes or tangible things that I think people can be able to see that might come quickly. Yeah, the legislature is going to take that up. And, you know, the two committees, the, you know, uh, in the House, those are the, the Judicial Proceedings Committee in the Senate and the House Judiciary. Those are the ones that seem to have an awful lot of stuff every year that really um, you got to be a lawyer to understand it, at least in its basic form. Yeah. And uh, I commend to our listeners the stories you've done about that. You, you can just come to WIPR.org and check those out. Um, uh, Bill Ferguson uh, told me that he expects that the death with dignity yes. uh, legislation will pass this year. Um, uh, the governor, I guess, has signaled uh, he's in favor of this. This has been tried the last few sessions uh, without success. Mm-hmm. What makes this year different? I think it's just the amount the support for it now, uh, at least in the Senate, maybe because this is a different Senate. Obviously, they didn't bring it up last year with all the other things, but different Senate from the last time they brought this up four years ago. Um, Maybe there's then Senate President wouldn't say it would pass unless he knows the support. He's going to know everybody who how they're going to vote on it. Um, so at least get through the Senate, through the House potentially too. The governor has said you know he wants to see the details of it, but you know in the past has certainly supported uh, this in in theory. Um, uh, 
And you know, a lot of other states are, are beginning to pick this up too. And I think Maryland's looking to just ride the, ride the wave of that right now. Um, let's listen to what the governor had to say about a story that Charles Robinson, our good friend, broke, mm-hmm. uh, having to do with uh, money that's going to be put in the budget to uh, put a new statue uh, on the grounds where the statue to uh, Roger Taney used mm-hmm. to be, uh, a Taney, I guess is how mm-hmm. that name is pronounced. Um, here's what the governor had to said, say about that. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in the, the history that we stand on is actually the foundation that we grow from. And it's important that the people of our state understand and recognize the powerful, the broad, and the beautiful mosaic uh, that makes up the state of Maryland. I, uh, and to know that the power that it gives us, you know, it's not, uh, it's not lost to me that every single day I have the joy uh, for my commute to the office to walk past a statue of Thurgood Marshall. And every single day, uh, people notice as I'm walking to the office, I look over the statue and I get a head nod. And it's a recognition. It's a recognition of the importance of and the immediacy of the moment. It's a recognition of all the work that took place in order for me to be able to make the commute that I make every single day. And what are they going to replace the statue with? It would be a, a memorial to the black heroes of the Ameri- Maryland's black heroes of the American Revolution. And again, this is the first time anyone really had heard of this. Charles broke the story that it will be in the in the more budget. Um, and given how long it took for that Tawny statue to be removed, I wasn't here when that happened, but I remember all the talk about it previously, the, the length of time that it took for that to be removed, um, that it would come to something like this then fairly quickly afterwards. It's fairly fast to be able to you know, know what you wanted, to, what was there, and removing it, and then we're going to put something else there. So that's pretty quick, and it'll be interesting to see how that. I'm sure it'll be received well, um, but it'll be interesting to see how that sort of goes forward and what it's going to look like, who it's going to honor, um, It'll, that'll be a fascinating thing because that's sort of stuff around, you know, that says a lot about a state where what they decide to put around something as prominent as a state house. All right. Let me ask you a probing personal question yes. for which I am uh, well known <laughs> and often reviled. Have you ever eaten a persimmon? I have not. Knowingly, let's put it that way. So uh, there is a bill Some, in this Somebody year. could have snuck one in <laughs> in a casserole you somewhere down the line. That was a persimmon, Matt. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so there is a bill that would make that the state fruit. Of course, yesterday, because um, the news team didn't keep me full of having to edit them all day, so I had some time to look this up, um, you know, sort of what fruits are really grown in Maryland and all that. And persimmon did make the top 10 list. Um, so, yeah, that would be, I think, the 25th uh, rye, which became the state spirit last year. Really familiar with that um that became i think the 24th state symbol last year so this would make you know there's a lot of these that come up every year they don't always pass but this is an interesting one i think it's one again speaks to a you know sort of the culture and values of the state i'm curious to read more about persimmons and find them somewhere and i'll bring them in the station we'll try and no move to uh, remove jousting as the state sport i I hope not (laughs) okay so we're adding we're adding the state fruit and we're keeping jousting matt bush is wipr's news director Part of the team covering the state house for us. Thank you, sir. Always good to see you. Thank you. Up next, Hallie Miller of the Baltimore Banner stops by Studio A to examine what the governor and legislature may do in the area of housing when the midday news wrap continues after a quick break. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR, where you're listening to Midday.
And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up on the show uh, Monday here on Midday, a special Martin Luther King Day of Service edition. I'll speak with people to whom every day is a day of service. Matt Hanna helps young people in the Next One Up program. Dr. Barbara Cook and Dr. Shakara Rahimi help Afghan refugees adjust to life in Baltimore. And the Reverend Corey Barnes mediates conflicts with We Our Us. So they join me Midday Monday. If you've just joined us today, it's the Midday News Wrap. Housing will be a top issue in Annapolis during the 2024 session. Senate President Bill Ferguson told me here on Midday Tuesday that economic growth was a key priority for him. And in a press conference on Wednesday, he had this to say about the relationship between housing and inflation. The number one driver of inflation is the price of housing. Um, We've seen this across the country. I just recently visited Minneapolis in which Minneapolis expanded the amount of affordable housing faster than almost any other MSA region uh, in the country. They were the first uh, urban area to get below 2% inflation. Why? Because they increased housing, housing costs were reduced, it drives inflation. And so it's not just the person that buys or sells or accesses that house, which is excellent. It's for everybody else uh, where is benefiting when housing costs are lower because it reduces the cost of goods and services generally. Hallie Miller covers housing for our news partner, the Baltimore Banner. She joins me here in Studio A. Happy New Year. You too, Tom. So some Maryland political insiders, according to a story that you've written about this, have referred to this year's session as the housing session. How come? Well, housing's going to be on the menu for sure. We know that um, because we know that the governor is taking a close look at it. We know um, he put out this week um, an agenda, a three-pronged agenda, that he plans to support over the 90-day session. Um, And it's basically the most ambitious project or the most ambitious look at housing that the state house will undertake probably on housing um, in at least the last decade, or if not more. Uh, the uh, Maryland Department of Housing and Community Development Secretary, Jacob Day, said that this is a real crisis, that there is a, a dearth, a paucity of housing supply. We've, we've got a, a shortage of housing, and it's a real problem. Yeah, and uh, Secretary Day has been using the phrase crisis on a public tour of sorts that he's been doing. He's been going around the state and and basically conveying that message for the last several months, if not the last year since he has been in the role. And he's using that word very deliberately because it is meant to signal the state of the problem that we're in. Um, Some people might disagree with the term. They might think that it's overdramatic. Um, But What's the scope? I mean, are they attaching a number to how many how many short we are? Yeah, so it's um, the the number that they're using is ninety six thousand. They're saying that of all the people who currently live in Maryland now, there's a ninety six thousand unit deficit, so a nearly hundred thousand unit deficit. So that means people either not having places to live or living tightly confined in spaces that aren't adequate. And in addition to that, they're saying that more than half of the people in our state who pay rent, are rent burdened, which means that they're paying over a certain percentage of their income on housing. And on top of that, the the median price of housing has gone way up. And anyone who's been looking to buy a house in the past couple of years know that to, knows that that's very true. And interest rates have uh, inched up as well. So, yes. you know, that's a double whammy. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that the administration has uh, three bills in mind. One of them has to do with renters. Two of them have to do with housing. One's called the Housing Expansion and Affordability Act. Uh, what would that do? 
So this is, to me, the most ambitious part of the package in a lot of ways. And it's because what the state wants to do is essentially uh, preempt, um, which is a word that people don't like, but the state essentially wants to preempt localities to do certain things. It wants to override the rule of the localities. So there, there are three parts to the first part of the housing package, the Housing Expansion Act. One is a density bonus. So essentially it would allow more density or more square footage or height in areas of the state that it thinks there should be more people at. So, And uh, it would do this by overriding the local restrictions on density? Yes. And local, it, it wouldn't do away with it altogether. And there would still be certain places, for example, where this wouldn't work. Like in Baltimore City, for example, um, I think in Mount Vernon, you can't have density or you can't have a, a tower in Mount Vernon that is higher than the Washington Monument, right? So that, that kind of makes sense because they want to keep the character of the neighborhood intact for various reasons. But in places where there already are tall apartment buildings or close to rail stations, for example, or some of these older commercial centers where there used to be lots of things, but maybe they're mostly vacant now, they think, you know, these are the right places where we can say, you can you can build bigger here. Um, and and that's, that's one part of it. Um, they're talking about even uh, having state law overrule or override local uh, jurisdiction when it comes to building permits. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty, you know, that is pretty uh, ambitious. I mean, that's going to, uh, I think, uh, engender a whole conversation about local control. Oh, yes. Um, and, and politicians a- across the aisle tend to agree that they want control, right? Like, that's part of the reason they get into this is because... They want to be the the boots on the ground authority for what their jurisdiction does, and uh, Democrats and Republicans have had issues with that before. So I've I've actually spoken to Democrats and Republicans who have looked at the housing package and have said, you know, I I have mixed feelings about that, or I don't like this at all. Um, so I think we can expect there to be some d- discussion um, or debate about. <laughs> How, how far of an overreach this is. Yeah, because when you're talking about uh, overriding local jurisdictions about uh, permitting and limiting the impact of development, um, you, you write in your story that it's based on an adequate public facility ordinance. So what does that mean? So um, in, in certain places in Maryland, um, a good example is Howard County. There's what's called an adequate public facility ordinance. And basically, this is a tool that counties use sometimes to basically t- to basically ensure that certain things or certain standards are met in terms of traffic and congestion and school crowding, for example. So in Howard, um, what happens sometimes is, you know, local leaders can say, you know, we don't want this big project here because we have uh, an app, though, an, an adequate public facilities ordinance, which means, you know, we we expect a, a quality of life here that could disintegrate if we put more people, more congestion, more traffic here. But what the government wants to do is is basically override certain restrictions because of APFO. And they want to do this for a period, period excuse me, of 15 years. And if you notice in that memo, they say it's because they reached an agreement with MACO, the Maryland Association of Counties, which is the powerful lobbying organization that represents all the counties. 
So reading between the lines, you can see that Mako didn't like that. Yeah. Or didn't like it as it was. That's why there's a sunset at least at 15 years. Right. So they were able to at least reach a negotiation with Mako on that piece of it. And I think they put that in the memo because they wanted us to know the state is signaling that they think they can get this passed. There's another uh, part of this package called the Renters' Rights and Housing Stabilization Act of 2024. Uh, There's a range of proposals. What do they include? So there there are a couple things here that we've seen before or we've seen talked about in the State House before. One of them is something that would increase the filing fee for evictions. So right now, Maryland has one of the lowest fees attached to evictions. And it's about 15 bucks or something. About right? $15 total. And this would take it up to about $100 total. And the idea being that it is too easy for housing providers to evict people right now. And in states where the fee is higher, you see fewer evictions. And as we know, evictions have not totally returned to pre-pandemic levels yet, but they're very, very close. They're very near where they were in 2019. Because there was a moratorium on convictions during uh, COVID, and uh, that ended a while ago. Uh, And it's interesting. We did see them spike back up, didn't Mm -hmm. we? Yep. And in addition to the moratorium, there was more money given to people. There was stimulus money that kept people housed. There was emergency rental assistance, which was in advocates view extraordinarily effective at keeping people housed and that money is all but gone now and advocates um, in Maryland housing advocates lobbied the governor um, in a public session or in a public rally last month to include more emergency rental assistance in the package Um, the governor did not put that in the package so I think there might be some tension about that issue, advocates wanting more money to prevent evictions and that not being in the governor's package right now. Um, The governor is also and his team talking about uh, establishing an office of tenant rights at the state level. What would that do? Because there are those kinds of offices in some of the local jurisdictions already. Yeah. So this this is an interesting provision. Um, It would create more staff dedicated to overseeing renters' rights in the state. So this would kind of be a one-stop shop that uh, tenants and renters could go to if they want more information, if they want a matter mediated. It would provide ombudsman services to tenants. It would also draft a renter bill of rights that would be included in every Maryland lease. So it wouldn't give tenants new rights per se, but as part of everyone's lease who rents, you would have an addendum that would be given to you where it, it goes over what your rights are and it gives you the number of this office. So if you do run into a problem with your landlord or you're looking for you know, counseling services or somewhere to go, it would give you the contact information for that office. Um, so that's, that's an interesting provision. Um, let me ask you one more general question about financing for housing, um, for new housing. I talked to Annie Miller, who's Millie, who's the head of Live Baltimore. Uh, her surveys, her data shows that uh, upwards of 20% of people who are looking for housing uh, are looking for new housing. New, the new part of it is really important to them. Um, when it comes to financing, uh, there's a proposal uh, to create a whole new entity that would help with financing. How's that going to work? Yeah, so this is the the Housing and Community Development Financing Act, and, and what it would do is create a, a public body, as I understand it, that could use the new market tax credit um, that would essentially allow more, 
more money, more federal money for development. And in addition to that, it would expand the costs for which grants and loans for community development um, could work in the state. So it could help with, with that problem as well. And I, I've heard this, you know, in, in the city as well, but there there is federal money out there and there is some concern in Baltimore and in Maryland more generally that there's really not a lot of cohesion all the time with getting all of the possible federal money and grants and tax credits as the state possibly can and as the city possibly can. So I think this is designed to kind of correct what they see as that weakness and not pulling the full heft of what the federal government can provide to the state. Yeah, well, clearly there's going to be a lot to talk about in the area of housing, and that is your beat at the Baltimore Banner, Hallie Miller. From our news partner, the Baltimore Banner, thanks for terrific reporting and for getting us up to speed. Appreciate it. Sure. Next Tuesday morning, by the way, January 16th, the Banner will host the first annual Inside the Legislative Session 2024 event. That's a series of panels with legislative leaders. Governor Moore will be there, members of the Moore-Miller administration, and reporters from our partners at the Banner. It starts at 7 o'clock in the morning at the Graduate Annapolis Hotel, and we've got a link to information about registration on the midday page at WIPR. And coming up, a preview of a world premiere. The hip-hop artist, actor, and educator Wordsmith joins me to tell us about his new composition called Network to Freedom. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. You're listening to Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR.